Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Our text this morning is just one short verse from James chapter 1, and so let me read it and then, and then I'll pray and, and we'll begin. James writes in, in chapter 1 verse 27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us think about these things. Father, now as, <laughs> as we come as a people to think about uh, the gospel of grace and our adoption and what you call us to as a faith family. As we've heard this, uh, just such a beautiful story of you working in Todd's heart and his raw honesty with us about how you over the course of time, softened his heart. Lord, would you do the same for us collectively as a people? Would you chisel away and would you soften and would you add the water of your word to the, to the dry clay that is so often our collective hearts? And would you form us today as a faith family a little bit more into what you are calling us to be for your glory and for our joy and for the salvation of the people in this room who may not know you yet. Lord, would you do these things and would you help us think deeply about it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Wayne and Todd had mentioned, we are, as a church, participating in National Orphan Sunday. This is our second year of doing this. And about 10 years ago, a pastor uh, was visiting, a pastor from the United States was visiting Zambia in particular and was at a service there where the local pastor was making an appeal to his congregation to care for the orphans in that city and in that region where that church was in Zambia and was just laying out his heart about the, really the crisis of orphans in that particular part of the world and this American pastor saw this Zambian congregation respond with, with their uh, possessions, with even some people at the end of that service bringing their shoes and the shirts off of their back to give in the offering to, to care for the orphans there in their community. And that impacted that, that local pastor from America so deeply that he came back to the United States and began this movement that is now 10 years later Orphan Sunday, where hundreds of churches around this country and around the world gather together and to think about and set aside a time at the beginning of November to consider the gospel of adoption and how our spiritual salvation is really a story of adoption and how God calls us as individual Christians and as a faith family to display and to model and to mirror spiritual adoption through our care for orphans. And so we 
come to this verse that James writes where it says that religion is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit, other translations say to care for orphans and widows in their affliction. And so this morning on, on Orphan Sunday, I want us to just focus in on that verse as it speaks to our responsibility as Christians to care for orphans in their affliction. Before I think we can understand this imperative, this really this command in Scripture that James gives the early church that is, is just as much a command to us today, I think we need to understand our own adoption by God our Father that, that Todd so clearly spoke of. And I think there are three truths that form the foundation for our responsibility to live out James chapter 1. And so just quickly, I'm going to give you and offer you three truths, and then, and then I want us to think about how we can create a culture of adoption, physical adoption here at Crosspoint. Three truths that I think form the foundation of James chapter 1, verse 27, that we are to care for orphans in their affliction. The first is, and, and think deeply with me about this, but the first is that God is Father before He is Creator. That's the first thing I want you to notice. I think we have them up on the screen there. God is a Father before He is Creator. Think, think about God. I know there are a lot of difficult truths in the Bible. One of them I think that we wrestle with all the time is the sovereignty of God over evil. And like last week we talked about the sovereignty of God over the affairs of nations, the sovereignty of God and salvation. And, and those are difficult truths to wrestle with. But I think one of the most difficult truths to just grasp is just the, the eternal nature of God. That God had no beginning and God has no end. In fact, we, we can't even wrap our minds around that because we're finite creatures. So for us, everything has a beginning and an end and we, we, we can't even conceive it. In fact, it's outside of our box to even sort of realize the the eternality, if that's even a word, but I'm just going with it, and I think you know what I'm talking about, the eternal nature of God. We can't even do it. A theologian wrote about some of these concepts about God that it would be like if we're plants and we're rooted into the ground, and plants can't, plants can't walk, actually. I don't know if you knew that or not, but plants are in the ground. They can't walk. It would be like a plant. Just imagine two plants that were able to talk to each other and they were rooted next to each other in the ground and somebody walked by them for the first time and they just didn't even have a category. They're like, how can you walk? Because plants can't walk. I mean, there's no, plants don't even have a category for how you can, how you can move, right? And, and likewise, we don't even have a category for how, how, how God is eternal. And so, so think with me about this. If God is eternal... There was a time before he created, God has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, so we tend to think maybe first and foremost of God as the creator of all things. But before God was a creator, God was a father. Think about the Apostles' Creed. It's the, one of the historic confessions of the church. We say it usually when we gather together for communion which we'll do next Sunday. And the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So even in that early church confession, they understood that before God is a creator, he's a father. So God, before he creates, has existed eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 24, in his prayer for his disciples and the church. He says, Father, I 
desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And so, so just, I want you to get a picture of God here. This is, this is so important for us as Christians to realize that everything is so much more radically God-centered than we normally view things. In fact, I think even just growing up in America, we, we sort of by nature view things as radically us-centered. But before we existed, God existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying here that they were in this triune, community of, of, of love that didn't need anything. And so, so God wasn't in heaven sort of bored with being God and, and, and he needed our fellowship and that's why he created us. God has been God from eternity past to eternity future and before he existed as creator and maker, he has existed as a father in this beautiful triune community as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that leads us to to the second truth, that before he created the world, he decided to act out his fatherliness by adopting his children through his son, Jesus. Todd alluded to this verse in Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to these words in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, listen to this now. Just follow my logic. This is, follow Paul's logic. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So so go back to verse 4. It says that he chose us in him. That means that God chose a people for himself in Christ before the foundation of the world. And so, so think about that. God's action as a father precedes his action as a creator. I mean, think about that, friends. I mean, when you think about God, you think about just this big, powerful God that can do anything and who's almighty and sovereign and can, can cause stuff to happen. He can cause people to be elected or not elected. He can cause storms to blow or to not to blow. And he can, he can cause things. He can cause something to come out of nothing. And, and friends, those are very important things for us to wrestle with and grasp and understand. But before, like, get this, before God is those things, he is a father. And he's a father who plans for the adoption of his people before he even creates them. Just just wrap your mind around that for half of a second. And think about the implications of that. The implications are clear and and obvious for For one is that not all of his creation is his children. Not all of the people that he creates are his children. And so God, in his kind wisdom, in his sovereign care over the universe for the display of his glory, decided before he even created to carve out a people for himself 
And to do that as a father, how? By adopting them. How? Through Jesus Christ. And so we, we become a, an adopted child of God, not because we're born or not because we're Americans or not because we decide to live right, but through Jesus' work on the cross, through Jesus, the Son, God the Son, who came and lived the life that we should have lived and, and fulfilled all of God's requirements and laws righteously and lived this perfect life and allowed His life to be laid down on a cross as a sacrifice to bear God's wrath on the cross and to absorb the judgment for sin on the cross for all those whom God has adopted. So, so God has, before he is a creator, deciding to adopt his children through Jesus. In fact, we don't even need to go outside of James 1 to see that truth. In James 1, verse 18, just a few verses up from where we read, it says that of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. What's the word of truth? What I just explained to you, the good news of what Jesus has done on the cross to die, to absorb God's judgment for the sin of his adopted children and then to rise again victoriously over sin and death. And because he is alive now, he can give life to God's adopted children so that we should be, back to James 1 now, he of his own will brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so God, before he creates the world, decided to adopt children as a father. And now it gets us to our third truth that I think is the foundation from which we need to look at James 1.27 is that God is first father before he's creator. Before he created, he decided to adopt the children for himself. And now let's get to the motivation of why does God do this? Like why did God do this? Because he, again, because the Trinity was bored or, you know, because he, he needed fellowship no, he, he does this for the purpose, and this is our third point, the purpose of our adoption is the praise of his glorious grace. Let's go back to that verse in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6. It says that God chooses to adopt for himself a people in Christ before he even creates. And then he then predestines them for adoption as sons, sons through Jesus Christ. And then listen to what it says as to why. According to the purpose of his will, verse 6, to the praise of of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in his beloved. And so, so the purpose, like the, the eternal, the pre-eternal motivation before God creates and before God even adopts, the motivation for God to do these things is for the display of his glorious grace. And at, at first blush, I think that for most Americans, that's sort of an unsettling thought. Like, well, I, I thought I've grown up in this world where I'm sort of the sinner. I'm the apple of God's eye, and, and we are those things. But God's primary motivation in doing whatever he does, more than love for us, is love for himself and the display of his glory. And friends, when we think deeply about that, when God acts that way, which to us may seem in our limited minds a selfish way to act, actually it's the most selfless thing that God can do. 
do. Because when God displays his glory, when that is God's primary motivation to display the glory of his grace, that's actually the best thing he can do for his creation. Because the only thing that will ever satisfy us is to behold our God who alone is worthy to look at and gaze upon and enjoy. And, and so think about this. Think just the progression of thought here. This is not rocket science. I mean, this is something that a kid who grew up um, in the uh, Mexican border in California, in the public schools in El Central California, where English was a second language, where um, I was the, by far uh, one of the smartest kids in my class because um, I uh, could speak English. And so listen, this is not rocket science here. God is a father before he's a creator. And God acts as a father to adopt his children before he even creates. And the whole reason he does that is to magnify and project and put on display his glory. And these things form then the foundation of James 1.27 that says that now we as his adopted children, we as his adopted sons and daughters are now commanded by God to visit orphans in their affliction. You see, friends, understanding those foundations are so important to understanding our responsibility as a church in caring for orphans, because if we don't get those things in the right order, understanding the gospel of adoption before understanding the imperative of what we're to do as a church, then do you see how those things can, can really get tangled up? We, we talk about this a lot when we were going through Ephesians, that understanding the scriptures well is being able to understand that before the command to do something in the scriptures comes the the statement of what God has already done for us so that through that we can do what he has called us to do. Um, now, my mother was an English teacher in the same high school that I went to. Uh, she was my freshman year English teacher. Um, and so I got an A plus in freshman year English because I, um, I wasn't about to mess that up. Uh, and she corrected my English all the time, uh, all the time. And one thing I learned from my mom is that, that what an indicative is. It's a statement of what has happened. And what an imperative is, it's a statement of something that you must do. And when you read the Bible, it's full of indicatives. It's full of statements of what has happened. And it's full of imperatives, statements of things that we must do. And I think that some people, when they come to the Bible, they look at the imperatives, things that we must do, and when they look at those things, they don't understand that before that imperative comes this indicative, something that has already happened. And what has already happened is that for those who are God's adopted children, before the foundation of the world, who he has determined before he even created to set his love on, he has adopted them through Jesus' work on the cross. 
He has given them the very thing that he needs so that when in his kind grace, in his providence, they become Christians and receive Jesus' righteousness and not their own, they will then be empowered to live out the thing that he commands them to do. And so do you see that these imperatives, you must do this, only work if they rest or they stand on the foundation of before you do this, realize that Jesus has already done this for you. And because Jesus has done this for you, you now have his righteousness. You now have his imputed character. And you can do this because Jesus has already done this for you. And, and that's the foundation that James 1 is standing on. Todd referred to it. The orphan care is not for us as Christians about just going around doing good works. And just, just being sort of morally good people, it flows out of the indicative of what Christ has already done for us through his work on the cross. And as a reflection of that, we are called to care for orphans. Why? Because God needs help taking care of people? No. Back to the motivation of why he even saved us. Because he desires through his people to display the glory of his grace to an onlooking world. And so we as a church are, I think, clearly called to care for the orphan. Not so that God will be pleased with us, but as an outflow of the fact that God has already adopted us. And let me just pause here. Because I think so often in church culture we speak sort of presumptively like everybody in the room is already a Christian and buying into this. Friends, do you, do you realize the implications of what we've just been saying that you're not a child of God just because you're created? You're a child of God if you have been adopted. If you are trusting in Jesus if you are believing in what he has done. That is the only evidence. That's what it means to be a Christian. To have been adopted by Jesus. And how do you know whether you're adopted by Jesus' work on the cross? Are you trusting in his work? Do you believe in him? Do you realize that your only hope before a holy and righteous creator is the work of God the Son on the cross? That's what it means to be a Christian. To turn away from trusting in yourself and turn in faith to what Jesus did on the cross. And then the outflow of the rest of your life is imaging that, living that out. And so we, before we move on, is there anybody in this room even here right now? There's several hundred people in here. Come on, friends. There's very likely somebody in this room who's not a Christian. Maybe you think you are, but you're not. Would you just right now, even now, just look away from yourself and look to Jesus? and not your own works, and not your ability to carry out the commands of God. Well, God calls us as his children now to care for orphans and to care for them in their affliction. So let's look briefly at just the global orphan crisis, some statistics. There are approximately 143 million orphaned and vulnerable children in the world. If these children uh, move to the country of Mexico, 
Mexico's population would more than double. There are approximately 47.5 million, million orphaned and vulnerable children in the sub-Saharan Africa. There are approximately 37 million orphaned and vulnerable children in South Asia. 30 million orphans in East Asia and the Pacific. 9.4 million orphans in Latin America and the Caribbean. There are as many orphans living in Ethiopia as there are people in New York City. What about just here in our country, the United States? There are more than 800,000 children who pass through our country's foster care system each year. There are more than half a million, 500,000 children in foster care, even right now. 129,000 of those, according to these statistics from an organization called Together for Adoption, 129,000 of those children are waiting to be adopted now. And of those 129,000, 25,000 of those children age out of the foster system. In other words, they just become too old. They're 18, 19, they just can no longer stay in there. And they're just sent out into society, many with no support system and little to no life skills. Friends, what are we called to do as a church for this? Does this mean that everybody in this room is called to adopt, to be a foster parent? No, not necessarily. But I do think that clearly the scriptures command us to, as a church, consider what creating a culture of orphan care might look like for us. So what am I asking us to do? I'm asking us to do a couple clear things. Number one, I think that we should, first of all, we should vote along these lines. Orphans don't start outside of the womb. I think even the most vulnerable of orphans are inside the womb. And so I think that we should be people that are radically committed to caring for orphans, whether they are inside or outside of the womb. And friends, I don't think that we should be people that should be uh, co-opted by a political platform. And that's my big problem with Christians that sometimes want to vote for one particular, particular party or another. I, I think there's very good reasons why we should do that, but don't let it just stop there. Don't let your vote for pro-life be all that we do. So what if all the Christians voted for somebody that was pro-life, and then we just go back to our homes and pat ourselves on the back? And, and what if tomorrow abortion was illegal? Do you think that would end abortions in America? No, those poor girls who are victims of terrible situations and terrible environments and terrible deals would just find other places to do it. So, so yeah, political action is part of this, friends, but, but do you see that creating a culture of radical orphan care means more than that? It's creating a culture of adoption where, where young mothers have, have places to go. 
And what would it look like if Christians all across this country were lining up at the doors of these foster care facilities and, 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 and Christians that had means were, were radically empowering Christians in their local faith family who were called to do this so that we could line up at the doors of foster care facilities and adoption agencies. And, and it, the adoption uh, facilities in America were just flooded with Christians empowering one another and those in particular in their churches who were called to do this so that we were standing waiting, not saying to them, don't do this and just giving them a negative thing, but saying, come, come, we will take, we will take that child. What would that look like? And what does it look like even here for us as a church? Wayne mentioned that there are currently 10 families looking or in the adoption process or in the foster to adopt process. And so the first thing I'm asking you to do is, is, is God considering, is God call, consider whether God is calling you to adopt or foster care. If the answer to that question is yes, and as you wrestle with that, then I pray that you would come to the adoption care roundtable next Sunday night and that you would be encouraged and equipped by our adoption care team. If you don't feel like the Lord is necessarily leading you to adopt or foster care primarily, then would you consider coming alongside families that are? Several ways that you can do that. You can give financially to help them. It costs about $30,000, sometimes much more, to adopt a child. And internationally, those costs can even go much higher than that. So would you consider if you have the means to come alongside a family within Crosspoint to help them financially to adopt? In fact, Brad Griffith, as, as Wayne alluded to earlier, has decided to start a ministry called Clement Arts to use his musical ability to sell CDs and bring awareness to adoption, to raise money for a family in Crosspoint to help them financially to adopt. So there's the, an example of a young guy who's just got a good job and doesn't necessarily have a whole bunch of expendable income but is using the gifts and grace that God has given him to come alongside a family even financially. There are other less tangible ways that you can come, uh, but very important ways that you can come alongside adopted families, coming alongside them just in prayer, encouragement, to give them a respite, to create a culture in our church that is radically God-centered. Well, as I think about Crosspoint over the years and as I think about giving my life, the balance of my life, Lord willing, to this church, I'm, I, I do have a couple of dreams that I would love to see before I spontaneously combust in my last sermon here, which I'm still holding out for. My, my wife, who's a doctor, says it's a medical impossibility, but doctors have been wrong before. <laughs> uh, a few dreams I have coming here from the military 20 years ago. I, I see a, a congregation full of military families that are sent as missionaries all across this world. And the sending organization for our missions program, our reverse missions program here, is the <laughs> United States government. We, they pay us to send missionaries out to posts all across the world. Another dream I have is that Crosspoint would be a place of racial reconciliation in a city that 150 years ago was, was a place of 
great evil, slavery. I pray that Crosspoint would be full of uh, white people and black people and Hispanic people and Asian people. I pray that, pray that Crosspoint would be a place that would be a, a safe haven for interracial couples, which I think are a particular display of God's grace. Uh, I pray that some of those cultural things that separate us, that Crosspoint would be a, a place where every tribe and tongue and nation can come and, and glorify God. I, I pray that Crosspoint would be a place that is filled with people who are being called to the mission field it would be filled with Jeremy and Samantha Orliches that feel God's call to give up their life and go and serve in faraway lands that do not have an adequate representation of the gospel. I pray that the best and the brightest and the most gifted amongst those that would come through the doors of Crosspoint would not just stay here and form a sort of, you know, all-star team of Christians in Columbus, but that they might go away to places like Central Asia and difficult places to take the gospel. And, and finally, a, a dream that I have for us is that in the decades to come, this room would be filled with boys and girls from, from China and India that uh, in God's kindness were adopted by families here and that, that grow up in a place where they can hear about Jesus and, and, and then be adopted into his family spiritually, eternally, forever. And I, I would love to, and, and there's little seeds of that I see. I look out and I see the, the Clarks and all of their children adopted from China and I see the hordes and their beautiful children from, from China. And, and I, 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 see, I see just these families that have adopted domestically. And I see Patrick and Carolyn Allen. And I see the pictures of their beautiful boy. And, and I, 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 I would love to just someday have that, that sweet, sweet privilege to look out and see a, a room full of people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every neighborhood because there's a group of people in a, just a little insignificant corner in west central Georgia who, who just got pressed on by the gospel and, and just decided to give up silly little trinkets of, of recreation and silly little self-absorbed habits and decided to just say, you know what, for the glory of God and as a display of his grace in my life, we're, we're going we're gonna to be this type of place that cares for the orphans in their affliction. Dream this dream with me. Would you please dream, dream this dream with me? Let's pray. Well, Father, as we, as we come now to think about uh, what you're calling us to do as a church, Lord, first, would we, would we get the truths in the right order? Would we 
Would we get that what you command us and call us to do comes after what you have already done for us in Christ? So you're not calling us to to run and work, but you're giving us wings and you're bidding us to come fly with you in gospel saturation. And so, Lord, don't let this be guilt or self-absorbed conviction. Don't let this be moral persuasion or any such thing. But, Lord, in your kindness, would you, would you cause us to be a, a, just a radically orphan-centered, orphan-hearted adoption-minded people as an outflow of the gospel. Or would you call people in this room to adopt? Would you call people in this room to assist in adoption? Would you call people in this room to encourage in any way that they can adoption and care for the orphan? Lord, would you do these things? And would you give us the kind, sweet grace to live a few more decades together and to, to see this room or whatever room you may have us in in the years to come filled, filled with white skin and brown skin and black skin and Asian and Latino and skin from all over this world and God, would you give us that kind grace? And would you give us the heart to be the means by which you give us that gift and by which you adopt children? Lord, do it, I pray, for your glory and for our sweet joy and for the adoption, not just physical, the adoption for eternity for children all across this world. In Jesus' name.